This is AgriPulse Open Mic, sponsored by NCIS, National Crop Insurance. With increasing commodity prices, higher price volatility, and rising input costs, America's farmers and ranchers are relying on crop insurance more now than ever before to provide individualized protection and to secure operating loans. Protecting 256 million acres of farmland and 350 commodities across the U.S., crop insurance is the primary safety net for many farmers, enabling them to supply our country with food and fiber year after year. Crop insurance, providing peace of mind now and for the next generation of agriculture. And now, AgriPulse Open Mic. Paul, first of all, thank you for being with us for AgriPulse Open Mic. Sure. Pleasure to be here. Thanks. Let's talk about some things about your company as they exist right now. And one of them is a name change that you have. You have moved from Pioneer Hybrid International now to DuPont Pioneer. Why the name change? We've been with DuPont now 12 years. You know, so we are part of DuPont and a very important part of DuPont. Not only is the Pioneer business important, but agriculture and food is increasingly important to the overall DuPont organization. So that's one thing. But the second thing is it's a demonstration that there is a tight linkage between Pioneer's business, our history, and the products that we develop to drive productivity, and some of the other things that DuPont is very active in. Uh, DuPont's got a great crop protection business. Uh, over the last year, we acquired uh, Denisco a leading food ingredient company, uh, also the pr a producer of enzymes for cellulosic ethanol. And then we've been uh, also in the food ingredient business before that with the Soleil company. Um, so the DuPont uh, presence in agriculture, food, and related businesses is really very, very strong. So it makes sense to increase the uh, connection between Pioneer and DuPont. Um, another important item to remember is this is how we're going to refer to the business. So it's DuPont Pioneer. It is not our trademark. Our trademark uh, references the products that we develop and sell. Those are Pioneer products. Uh, so no change in our historical reputation, our brand, uh, all the equity around the trademark as it relates to the products and our relationship with customers um, in the United States and around the world. You are one of the biggest two companies in biotechnology seed production, but it seems like you have a very uh, challenging relationship with Monsanto. Um, can we talk about that for a moment uh, in regard to your company being engaged in uh, seems like perennial lawsuits with them and this $1 billion settlement that uh, you were supposed to pay them. First of all, can you tell me what is the situation on the potential for an appeal or any countersuit you've made against them? We do plan to aggressively appeal uh, the verdict, uh, and we'll be doing that through uh, the federal court system in Washington, D.C., that is an expert in handling patent uh, litigation. Uh, but we do need to wait for that appeal process to begin because actually the trial that was uh, conducted in July still needs a number of rulings by the judge who managed that trial and 
And until he completes his work on that trial, really the verdict is not uh, done and complete. So we're going to wait until that gets done. Once that is done, then we'll aggressively appeal uh, that case through a different uh, channel. Do you feel that you and Monsanto can coexist or over time you'll just continue to be in a struggle that could take one of the two of you out? That certainly is not our intent at all to take uh, a competitor out. But I would say that uh, we're a fierce competitor. Um, and that is the condition that we face today as well as uh, the future is that DuPont, Pioneer, and Monsanto will be fierce competitors. That's good. Competition is, you know, the, the fundamental essence of United States uh, business, and that creates uh, innovation, and it delivers choice to customers. And that's exactly what I think uh, a strong competitive environment between DuPont Pioneer and Monsanto will do for U.S. agriculture is create a nice, aggressive, competitive atmosphere, better products, innovation, and in the end result, that's good for farmers. You have a lot of experience in the international seed trade of being able to uh, uh, develop and produce. And do you believe that is going to continue to be a major challenge to be able to bring on a new trait, a new product, and then be able to export it freely across the world? You know, that is one of the biggest challenges we have today. Uh, the industry has great science and we continue to make great steps forward in addressing key agricultural issues, whether they're in the United States or anywhere around the world, through science, uh, through tradi traditional science like conventional breeding and through biotechnology. So I think the industry is doing a great job to move forward in, in challenging uh, times. But the regulatory system does, does present a challenge, two fronts. You know, in the United States, uh, Secretary Vilsack has acknowledged that the USDA has its challenges, and he has committed to speeding up the process. I can remember um, six, eight years ago, it's fairly predictable that a new biotechnology trait might take about 30 months uh, to get through the system uh, to approval for cultivation. Now it takes about 40 months, and Secretary Vilsack is committed to get that back from 40 back to what it should be is somewhere around 30 and, um, and more predictable. But at the same time, we've experienced that set of challenges in the United States for cultivation. It also has been a challenge for import approvals throughout the world. You know, when we're looking to advance a new technology, we've got to make sure that U.S. farmers can not only produce that seed, uh, that grain here in the United States, but then have export opportunities throughout the world. So it's critical that we have uh, approvals in uh, Europe, China, Taiwan, Korea, Japan, those really critical export markets that are really fundamental to U.S. growers. And that's also where uh, the challenges currently exist. Each of those countries has, has a different set of requirements. Each of those countries have a different set of timelines. Uh, so it is a challenge. Today, the situation in China is that for a crop to be imported into China, it first needs to be deregulated for cultivation in the United States. And that really doesn't make sense. There's no reason why China needs to wait until the process is done in the United States before the process in China can start. 
So what Secretary Vilsack is doing is working with the Chinese government to say, let's make them parallel. You know, a company makes its submission in the United States for cultivation. Let's trigger the, the import approval process in China at the same time. China will still control their process. They'll still be the decision maker. They'll still request the right amount of data. But at least they'll be in parallel instead of sequential. That would be a great uh, step forward. What about drought tolerance in uh, corn now? Uh, this year was probably too much for anything you had yet, but do you anticipate you'll continue pursuing that? Yes, it's, it's a very uh, important characteristic for us to address. Uh, you know, if you, if you look at a farmer, the one thing that they're always trying to manage and deal with is stress, whether that's drought, heat, disease, insects, wind, you know, whatever it is, they're looking for stress management. And when you look at the products uh, that come out of our research organization, you know, certainly we're looking for better and better yield levels every year, but equally as important is to manage stress. Um, so with that kind of focus, we've got a great breeding program that can really target and go after products that can tolerate stress. And so over the last couple of years, we've used some uh, special breeding techniques uh, to bring even more attention to stress, and in particular, drought stress, through conventional breeding practices. And so we've been in the marketplace for two years now with Optum Aquamax, uh, a great set of hybrids that is particularly targeted to stress environments, most notably in the Western Corn Belt, where you know, you, you've got heat and drought stress in probably eight out of ten years, a little different than the Eastern Corn Belt, where it might be more like two or three years out of ten where you have heat and drought stress. So there's probably 15 million acres in the western corn area that most normally they're going to be faced with water stress and they don't have access to irrigation. That's the environment that we've targeted. Aquamax uh, in test results in 2011 and on customers' farms in 2012 is really tolerating the stress very, very well. We've still got to get the data from this year's harvest, but in our own research trials in years prior, we see about 5 to 7% yield advantage in Aquamax as compared to uh, hybrids that don't have that stress tolerance. Paul Schickler, you want to uh, show us any cards of any other traits that might be in the pipeline in the future? Well, I mentioned, you know, that through conventional breeding, we're always looking at, you know, improving the yield level and then in combination with that defensive traits and, and stress tolerance. And then in the biotechnology pipeline, we've got uh, always an effort to renew biotechnology traits for herbicide tolerance and insect resistance. Some of the new technologies that we'll be introducing in the years ahead, you know, first is plenish. Um, that is a great soybean biotechnology trait that brings a number of attributes over and above conventional soybeans. First of all, um, its uh, profile is high oleic. It's got a higher um, component of high oleic than, uh, than conventional soybeans. And in combination with that, if you look at the profile of plenish soybeans, it matches pretty favorably to olive oil, you know, one of the most in-demand and most healthy oils that consumers uh, go after. And then finally, from a farmer's standpoint, 
not only have you improved the characteristics or the value, better oil and better characteristics like a longer life, but it comes with no agronomic shortfall. The yield levels of plenish are the equivalent of conventional soybeans. But it also comes with one of the challenges that we talked about earlier, and that's regulatory. We have deregulated plenish for cultivation in the United States and Canada and in most export markets around the world with the exception of Europe. So we can't roll it out. Food companies can't use it as aggressively as they would like because we're still waiting for European um, import approval of that oil and meal. We would expect that in the latter part of 2013. Uh, another biotechnology uh, opportunity that we have, a couple others, is, um, you know, we mentioned herbicide tolerance. Um, and we've got some great technologies that we're looking at to give farmers additional options for to use other chemistries besides glyphosate or glufosinate. So, for instance, we've taken a license from Dow for the Enlist technology. We're building that into our germplasm and, and uh, background. That'll give uh, an additional option for growers to use 2,4-D chemistry to go in combination with glyphosate, glyphosate, and other chemistries to stay ahead of uh, any potential weed resistance that might be evolving. On the insect side, uh, another uh, innovative technology that is in our pipeline is BT for soy. And while that is uh, more of an issue in Brazil where the insect pr pressure for soybeans is greater, I think it does have some good application um, in southern United States where insects uh, play particular havoc for soybean growers there. Paul Schickler, president of uh, DuPont Pioneer, thank you very much for speaking with us on AgriPulse Open Mic. Thank you, Ken. Paul Schickler, the president of DuPont Pioneer. That's AgriPulse Open Mic for this week. Brought to you by NCIS, the crop insurance industry. I'm Ken Root.